Our text today is in John 14. If you would open your Bibles to John 14, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14. Our scripture reader was unable to be here with us this morning, so I'll be reading the scripture for us. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have your own copy of God's Word, we have Bibles that we would love to give to you. So you can find those in the lobby of the church. You can find those over in the overflow. And uh, for the service today, you can use the Bibles that are provided there in the pew. Let me ask you, if you are able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of Scripture. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, Jesus is speaking, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Thank you. When your prayers hit the ceiling, when your prayers hit the ceiling... Let's once again pray, as Jesus is calling us to do, and ask for the Lord's help today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have had just now to look into the holy, true, infallible, eternal word of God, your revelation to us, your words to us and to hear the Son of God, our Savior, speak of this great invitation, this great promise-filled command for us as His people, those who believe in Him, to pray, to ask. And so just as last week, Father, we we gathered our hearts and our, our thoughts around your word and the necessity of your word and the power and the grace of your word, all that your word stands for and is able to accomplish in our lives as we give our lives to your word. And really the same could be said for prayer. That there is an unimaginable, majestic and wonderful and amazing promises of, of power and of strength and of grace that is available to your people, to your children through the means of prayer if we would simply pray. As we give ourselves to prayer, you give yourself to us in prayer. 
And so, Lord, we are just coming together this day and, and just asking, Father, that you might, through your word and through these times together, continue to fashion us and shape us and make us people of the word and people of prayer as we commit ourselves to it and ask for your grace in the year of our Lord, 2022. So, Father, do a great work today. We look to you. We lean upon you. We look to your word. We trust in Christ, and we ask that you would work in our lives. Truly, may you move us and cause us to pray. And we ask all of this in Christ's name, for his glory. Amen. So I, I won't keep your Bibles open as always. We're going to look at actually several passages of, of Scripture throughout our time together this morning. But I want to go back to this passage that I just read and just kind of quickly walk through it as a way of introduction. And just I want us just to grab on to a, a couple of things that Christ has said. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me, so he's speaking to the people of God, those who have trusted in Christ, those who have embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior, who are following him in their lives. Whoever believes in me will, will also do the works that I do. That's a remarkable statement. We've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew together, and we've seen the works that Jesus does, and they are absolutely wonderful, miraculous. And Jesus says, you as my people, as my disciples and followers will also do the works that I do. And then he goes beyond that, doesn't he? As astounding as that is for Jesus to say, you, you're going to do what I do. He says, you'll do greater things. Greater Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. In other words, the, the work, the mission, the gospel advancing, the work of the kingdom on this earth will be um, transferred to the church. The church will be about extending and uh, God's kingdom on this earth. Christ will be with the Father. Now in verse 13, Jesus gives us the vehicle by which all of these things are going to be done. This is the means whereby this great promise that you're going to do works and even greater works, and it's by the, by the means of prayer. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that's how those works are going to be done. So Jesus gives us the promise, and then he gives us the instrument whereby to... to uh, Possess that promise. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So as you're praying about all of these kingdom advancing, gospel spreading uh, uh, prayers and, and miraculous divine uh, interventions of, of God in his creation, as you're, as you're praying all of these things, I'm going to answer it so that me and the Father will be glorified. People will know that it's our work being accomplished through you as you are praying. 
Verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That is a powerful, powerful promise. A pledge of Christ to the prayers of his people. Now, what I want you to see is that Jesus says essentially the same thing again in the very next chapter. Look with me in chapter 15. Look with me to verse 16. Chapter 15 and verse 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So Jesus is revealing the the purpose for which he calls us unto himself is that we might go and continue, extend his ministry, bear fruit, and, and that your fruit should abide so that, here it is again, so that, here's the vehicle where you're bearing this fruit, so that, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So there is the the, the promise for the fruit bearing. There is the means for the fruit bearing. Just like it's the the same as the means for the works, the greater works. It's the same uh, necessary means for the fruit bearing. And then remarkably, Jesus says essentially the same thing in the next chapter. Look with me in, verse, in chapter 16. And in verse 24. Now, Jesus has just attached a tremendous promise to his grand invitation for us to pray he says you ask in my name you ask in my father's name it'll be done in the very next chapter we see jesus if we're taking this chronologically in our christian life we could say it this way jesus is wondering you know since i've told you this why aren't you praying verse 24 until now you have asked nothing in my name ask Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. So here's a wondrous further understanding of prayer. It's not only that the Father and Son might be glorified, that's first and foremost, but that it's his people might also be filled with joy. That's the outcome of when God's people pray in his name and God answers miraculously, savingly, wondrously, divinely. God is glorified. Christ is glorified. And his people are filled with joy. It's absolutely remarkable what we learn about prayer in these verses Three times in three chapters, Jesus compels us to pray in his name and he will answer. Prayer is the most powerful, effective, life-changing activity that we as believers will ever engage in. 
And yet, if we're, if we're honest with one another, if we're honest before the Lord, we often do not experience in our prayer lives what Jesus has just absolutely promised in chapter 14 and in chapter 15. We're not seeing those God-sized prayers answered. We don't see our prayers answered in such a way and, and eventually we stop praying. And then we find ourselves in chapter 16, don't we? Why aren't you praying? So many believers have experienced this. We've all experienced this to one degree or another in one season or time or another that it seems like prayer becomes dull, prayer becomes monotonous, prayer becomes exhausting, and it seems like nothing is happening, uh, it's no use, it's, 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 uh, it's in vain, it's, it's, a, it's a waste of time, and some, somehow came this phrase, my prayers are getting no higher than the ceiling, or my prayers, I feel like my prayers bounce off the ceiling. In other words, ceiling prayers are, are going nowhere. No one's listening, nothing's happening, why am I praying? What I want us to see today is that when, when we are not enjoying, and, and I'm putting myself right in the middle of this as I'm preaching because I've been there in my own praying. What I want us to see is that when we are not enjoying an, an abundant and thriving prayer life, when, when we are not seeing God move and, and answer, the issue is not on heaven's side of the equation, of, of, of the prayer chain. The issue is not that, that God doesn't care, that God is not listening, that God is absent, that the Bible is not true, that Jesus was talking to somebody else in chapter 14 and 15. It doesn't include me. None of these promises apply to me. None of those things that we often think of when we are discouraged in our prayer lives, none of those things are true. The, the issue is not on God's side. The, the issue of unanswered prayer or of a dry season, a weak, a frail season of prayer or of prayerlessness really resides on our side. You see, there are conditions for a vibrant prayer life where through prayer, God is moving in our lives and in the lives around us and we are seeing greater works and we are bearing fruit and therefore our lives are filled with joy and Christ is being glorified. He's glorifying the Father through our lives and through the work that's being accomplished when we are praying, as we are praying. There are conditions 
for that kind of experience in our prayer life. And if we can, if we can come together this year in in 2022, if there's ever been a year to call for prayer, is it not this this year? If, If we can come together and correct our ways, realign our ways and thinking and activity and discipline and giving to ourselves to pray... If we can correct our ways by the grace of God, the the prayers of God's people at Grassy Pond Baptist Church would be the most effective, powerful prayers in the world. Well, how do you know that, Will? Because Jesus said even greater things. Even greater works. That's Christ's promise to us If we will pray as he's called us and commanded us to pray. Those are pretty much absent from our lives. From our experience. Why? Well, that's what I want us to get into today. I want us to look at, first we're going to look at two prerequisites for an abundant prayer life. And then we're going to look at five obstacles. Now, I've got six. It's going to show six up there, six if it's printed in your bulletin. But I combined two, so it's five obstacles. And we're going to hit those pretty fast. I know what you're thinking already. Pastor Will's going to preach on Let's see, one, two, plus five, seven points already. Oh, my goodness, what time is it? We're going to go really fast. The third point is going to be two essential ingredients. So write notes, write write real fast. I'm going to be reading or referring to passages of Scripture. So if you would just, I'll have you turn to one or two of those. But for the most part, just write those references down and make notes on those This is first aid for our prayer life. We could put it that way. Maybe that was a good title. First aid for our prayer life. Number one, two prerequisites for an abundant prayer life. Number one, you got to be saved. You got to know the Lord. You have to give your life, surrender your life, trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Surrender to him and follow him. Be his disciples. Remember what Jesus said, whoever believes in me. We must be saved in order for God to hear and answer our prayers. Jesus says in John fourteen six, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our access to the Father. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. There's one way for men to get to God. It's Jesus Christ, his Son. Hebrews says in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus is our high priest. Our high priest, meaning those who have embraced him as Lord and Savior. And as our high priest, then verse 16 says, Therefore, since we have Jesus as our high priest, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will find grace to help in time of need. So we must know and trust and embrace Jesus as our Savior To have access to the throne of God. God hears and answers the prayers of his children. 
So the first prayer that God hears is the prayer, save me. Save me. I'm a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm trusting in Christ. I'll never forget um, years ago in another location, serving at another church, uh, I, I went to the hospital to visit a man who was very defiant to the gospel, very resistant to church. And he was in the hospital. He was very, had been very sick. We talked a little bit. He knew who I was. We, I shared a little bit. And, and then I shared the gospel with him, the hope of Christ, our need for Christ, verses of Scripture. And he said, you know, uh, preacher, I've heard all that before, and, and I don't need all that. I, I already know God. So he was saying, I don't need Jesus. I, I don't need to be saved. I, I already know God. I'm already right with God. I said, well, uh, how, how do you suppose that? How, how do you think that with, with these, you know, with the Bible saying Jesus is the only way? And he said, well, I've prayed to God, and my prayers have been answered. I've seen God answer my prayers. Therefore, I know that I know God, and he knows me, and I know that I'm right with God. So I went back to some of these verses about how Jesus is our only bridge to God, and I talked about that a little bit, and and I asked him, suppose that God's not answering your prayers. Suppose that God's answering the believers who are praying for you. If, If the Bible is true. Because the Bible is true that Jesus is the only way. We talked a little bit more. I'm, I'm sad to say um, his heart remained cold and indifferent. In fact, as I was leaving, he said, I, I want to ask you something. I said, what's that? He said, don't ever come see me again. I said, Okay. The first thing we must know is that we are saved, that we belong to Christ, that that when we pray, Christ ushers our prayers into the presence of the Father. So we must be saved. That's the first prerequisite. Number two is, it's a no-brainer, but here it is, we must pray. We must actually be praying, committing ourselves to prayer, committing ourselves to private closet prayer, committing ourselves to family prayer, committing ourselves to corporate prayer, committing ourselves to, to, to constant prayer as we're driving, as we're working, on our way to a meeting, on our way home, before we're having a conversation, just praying. That's what, that's what Paul means when he says, pray without ceasing that our lives would be in a constant state of prayer, but we must be praying. God doesn't answer prayers that are never prayed. In order for us to experience an abundant prayer life where we're seeing God move in in incredible ways and and, and, and wonderful things accomplished that only God can accomplish, we must be praying. James chapter 4, verse 2 simply says it this way. You have not. Because you ask not. It's it's the same thing Jesus is saying. Until now you have asked me nothing. Ask and you will receive. 
James is saying the same thing. Daily Bible reading and study and daily prayer are absolutely essential to the Christian life. So it's got to start there. We must be saved and and we must be praying. Second, five obstacles to an abundant prayer life. Number one would be half-hearted or kind of a heartless praying. In other words, what I'm saying here is is just mouthing the, the routine words with really no passion, no burden, no urgency, really no concern or care. We're just kind of mumbling the words that we've always mumbled or we've always heard other people say. And, and we just kind of pray because you're supposed to pray. And, and we say this right here because we think we're supposed to say this right here. And we're really not in tune with God. We're really not involved in the prayer. It's kind of a heartless, meaningless prayer. Well, that's an obstacle to prayer. And, 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 and then there's no wonder why the Lord is not moving in incredible ways in our lives. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus is teaching on praying. And he says, ask and you will receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. And, and those action words, ask, seek, and knock, are in the Greek present, meaning that they are ongoing. In other words, Jesus is literally saying, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. In other words, there's an urgency, there's a desperation, there's a passion that's that's indicated there, that we are praying and and we keep praying and, and we keep seeking the Lord for these things in our lives and in our world and in our church and in the lives of those around us. We don't give up, we don't stop. Jesus says, what what will the Father do for the elect who keep crying to him day and night? What do you think he's going to do? In other words, he, he's going to answer. James chapter 5 verses 17 and 18 gives an incredible example of a, of a man of prayer, Elijah. But James says, you know what? Elijah was a man just like us. He, he had a nature just like us. He was just an ordinary man, in other words. He was like any other human being. But, James says, he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three years. <laughs> and then, James says, and then he prayed that it would rain and it started raining. But you know what James says about how he prayed? He says he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. Fervently. There was an urgency, a desperation, a a passion, a burden present in his praying. Sometimes that's strangely absent from us as we're actually praying to God, the Father, the God of the universe. But we so easily get spiritually numb and cold. Here are two helps, two helps to heartless praying. If you struggle with this, I struggle with this. If you struggle with this, here's a couple of things to help us. When we are praying for things for ourselves, for God to help, for for God to give grace, for God to answer, when we're praying for ourselves to, to simply be reminded that we are nothing and we cannot do anything with 
without God's grace. Jesus said it. I I am the vine, you are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we understand our desperate need of God's sustaining, constant, ongoing grace and mercy in our lives, it it, it motivates, it, it puts some urgency in our prayers because if God doesn't move, we're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. We can't. We're unable. So we come to God asking for him to move in, in power and might. How about when we pray for others? I think the best way for us to, to grab on to some urgency and passion when we're praying for others is to put ourselves in their shoes Instead of looking over them to pray, we we need to be with them in prayer. And to begin to understand that, that the things that they need, the help that they need, the grace that they need, the change that they need, the the repentance that they need, the assistance that they need, whatever it might be, whatever they need, but most tragically, the salvation that they need. Put ourselves in their shoes and see that that apart from God's gracious work in their lives, they'll never change. They'll never be repentance. They'll never be salvation. They'll never be that help. They'll, They'll never see the things that are to be seen. And apart from God's work in their heart, putting ourselves in their position. So number one... First obstacle to prayer is half-hearted, heartless praying. Secondly, is unconfessed sin. Known, ongoing sin in our lives that we simply refuse to let go of, to repent of, to change, to make any effort with, to wrestle with at all, simply because we love our sin more than we love living for the Lord. We love that particular sin more than we love the Lord. Look with me to Isaiah 59. I would like you to see this passage. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. And this, this goes to that point I was making that the issue is not heaven's side. The issue is our side of prayer. Listen to these words. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Unconfessed sin. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard, if I cherish, if I hold on to iniquity in my heart, God will not hear my prayer. This is a very serious issue because if this sin is never dealt with, it's not only an issue of prayers not being answered, it begins to indicate unbelief. 
Some of us today may be living in sin, and we know we're living in sin, but we absolutely refuse to repent. We absolutely refuse to change, to listen to truth, because we love our sin more than we love our Savior. We refuse to repent, but we expect God to keep blessing our rebellion. And in fact, when God doesn't bless our lives and give us a comfortable life, then we get mad at God, angry with God, and even begin to turn away from the faith. If God is the kind of God to allow this to happen in my life, and we keep down that path, then we are in a state of unbelief. We convince ourselves that we have a better plan for our lives than God. So we're holding, we're clinging to our sin, and our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. To have an abundant, thriving prayer life, we must get right with God. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, If one turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. In in other words, when we refuse, when we turn, willingly turn from God's will, God's revealed will to us in his word, even our prayers are sinful. So we must confess our sins and repent of our sins in order to know this joy that Christ is talking about. Sin's not going to give you that. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care who you're involved with. Sin is not going to give you that. It's going to promise you that. But it's not going to give you that. There will be consequences. Maybe not immediate. Maybe not tonight, maybe not tomorrow, but there will be consequences. God will discipline his people. Sin will have its day in our lives if we allow it. So confess our sins, repent of our sins that we know that we're clinging to and enjoy the fullness of life, the abundant life that Christ promises. But here's the third obstacle. Not only... Is there the obstacle of heartless praying? Not only must we get right with God, but the third obstacle is this. We must get right with one another. We must get right with one another. We must seek to be reconciled with one another as far as is possible in our lives. That requires us to humble ourselves, to go in prayer to one another, to apologize, to ask forgiveness, to be forgiving, to seek to restore and renew that relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Broken relationships with one another hinder our prayer relationship with God. It throws a blanket upon our prayers. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 say this. If you go to the altar to present your gifts, so if you are coming before the Lord to worship him, it says, and you remember there that your brother has something against you. Leave that gift. In other words, forget about worshiping me right at that moment and go be reconciled to your brother. And then come and worship me. You see what he's saying? You're not ready to worship me. 
with a broken relationship. You must be reconciled. Now, those verses, interestingly, in the Sermon on the Mount, come in the context of Jesus teaching us to not be angry with our brother. In other words, don't let that hurt or that offense or that misunderstanding or that slip of the tongue turn to anger or bitterness or distrust. Go be reconciled and be free from that hurt. Be free from that bitterness and coldness and withdrawal and be renewed in your prayer life. Be renewed in your relationship with God. You know, people can really hurt us. People can really cause us a lot of harm. And we can hurt others, cause them a lot of harm. But you know, we can actually hurt ourselves more in the long run than those who hurt us. By not repairing that relationship and restoring that fullness of our walk with God, repair those broken relationships as far as you can, as far as you can. And then come and worship God. That's the third obstacle. Fourth obstacle is this. And this might be a surprising one, so we're going to turn to this passage of Scripture. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. The fourth, the fourth obstacle is this. Mistreating your spouse. Mistreating your spouse. If we are not loving our wives as we should, our husbands as we should, if we're not being patient and kind to one another, if we are harsh in word and tone, if we are taking advantage of one another, manipulating one another, being abusive to one another, being unfaithful to one another... On the other side, if we are not being helpful to one another, encouraging to one another, helping one another grow in the Lord, being a, being a means of sanctification in the lives of one another, if we are not living with our spouses, living in our marriages in a godly way, God will not hear our prayers. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 7, now this is specifically to husbands. So if anybody needs to be listening to this prayer obstacle, men, it's us. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That weaker, don't take offense at that, women, because that, that is why... And we'll unpack that later. I'm about to get into something I can't get out of. <laughs> Don't take offense at that. that that's the uh, compulsion for honor. That, that's a compulsion for honor, okay? And, and that doesn't mean what you think it means. And why you're saying, oh, I don't like that. You don't like what you think it means. You would love what God means. Since, here it is, 
since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. In other words, that's God's daughter. He saved her. Jesus bled for her. How are you treating her? So that, here's the reason, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, how are we doing? Maybe that's the sin that needs to be confessed today. That's the fourth obstacle. Fifth obstacle, selfish or sinful motive behind our prayers. Oh, we're pretty good at kind of twisting things and putting a spiritual, you know, twist on it to convince one another. And sometimes we, we even are so brash as to try to do that with God. You see, God not only hears the words of our prayers, but more importantly, he reads the intent behind them, the motive behind them, the reason behind them. And often we're, we're simply asking God to get us what, what we can't get. To, to, to do for us what so far we haven't been able to do. And, and it's selfish prayers. It, it has nothing to do with God's glory, nothing to do with God's will. It has everything to do with me. It has everything to do with what people think of me. It has everything to do with what I want. It, and we need to stop and think that maybe God has not allowed you to accomplish that or me to accomplish that for the very same reason. It's just absolutely self-central as if the entire universe revolved around us and has nothing to do with the glory of God and advancing the gospel and Christ-likeness in our lives. It has nothing to do with him. That's why God hasn't allow it, allowed it, but we're praying for it anyway. Selfish prayers. They're sinful prayers. That, that's when we try to bargain with God and, and, and we try to reason with God and try to strike a deal with God to, to, to make, for God to make an allowance that we have actually chose to disobey him. That's like kind of, you know, what, what we did when we were children, what our children do. We try to convince mom and dad that this is okay, this is all right. It's not really that bad. We choose to rebel against God and then we expect God to answer those prayers. James, we mentioned James 4, 2 earlier. Ask not, uh, you have not because you ask not. In verse 3 he says, And when you ask, you don't get because you're asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. To spend it on your selfish passions. So there are some things, church, and I, I cannot tell you how much I'm preaching to me first and then, then to you. There are some things that we need to rid ourselves of today in order to enjoy a thrilling, vibrant prayer life, a joyful life in the Lord. To see God move. To see the Lord do incredible works in our lives, in our hearts, in our marriages, in our homes, in our children, in our grandchildren, in our church, in our world. To see God intervene in saving life-changing ways. That's, that's the promise of the Lord. That's not made up. 
So let us examine, let us come together this this day and examine our hearts before the Lord and and confess and repent and, and seek God's grace. First, we must be saved. Second, we must be praying. And third, we must be constantly aware of and constantly ridding ourselves of these obstacles, heartless praying, unconfessed sin, broken relationships, mistreating or spiritually harming our spouses, selfish, sinful motives behind our prayers. We need God's help for those things. What do I do about those obstacles? Preacher, pray about them. Confess them. And resolve and work to remove them from our lives. So there are things we must put away from our lives for an abundant prayer life. But there are two things I want to talk about quickly that we must, that must accompany our prayer lives. In fact, I'll put it this way. If you hear these five obstacles, you think, oh my goodness, I'll never really pray. I've got too much work to do before I can even pray. Well, well, here's some good news. If these two essential ingredients, if we will just incorporate these into our prayer lives, they'll essentially take care of the five obstacles. Here they are. Number one, believe. When you pray, we must have faith that God can do what we cannot do. I want you to look quickly, or just hang in there with me. I'm going to read it to you. In Matthew chapter 21, we've looked at this recently. It's the lesson on the fig tree. Remember that? We're talking about the fig tree a few months back. And in that lesson on the fig tree, when the disciples saw that that fig tree had withered, they marveled and, and they asked Jesus, how did the fig tree wither at once? And in chapter 21, verse 21, Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, listen, you'll not only, you'll not only do what I have done, remember John 14, But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Even greater works will you do. Verse 22, it comes down to this. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. Here it is. If you have faith. If you have faith. Now, that doesn't mean faith in your praying. You don't say, boy, God's going to answer this prayer because, man, I really prayed today. It isn't that you have faith in faith. God, I, 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 I truly believe, so I have, I have faith in my faith because I truly believe. So if I have this kind of faith, God's really going to... No, our faith is in God. Our faith is in Christ, who is Lord over all. Now I think I hear I think I hear someone I think I hear your heart today or either it's mine and you're saying pastor I I, I want to have faith like that when I pray but I confess, sometimes when I'm praying about things that are are truly out of my hand out of my control in my life or the lives of others when when I'm when I'm praying 
and asking God, I'm actually doubting it's going to happen at the same time. In the, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking it's never going to happen, but I'm supposed to pray for it anyway. I really need this to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm doubting God at the same time I'm asking God. Now, I don't know if someone's heart is saying that, but I, I'm, I'm sharing that because sometimes I wrestle with that. So what do we do when, when we know that we are praying that we're not praying with faith in God. We pray about it. We ask God to give us the faith that we need. Help us believe. Help us to see his majesty and might and grace and mercy. The issue is not his side. The, the issue is our side. If we could see the majesty and glory and saving grace of God, it would it root our faith, strengthen our faith, build our faith, increase our faith. We need God to give us in grace the faith to pray. Help me. You, you, remember, the, you remember the guy in the New Testament, in the gospel? I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what we do. We pray for it. So number one, two essential ingredients. Number one, faith in God to move incredibly, powerfully, savingly. Number two, pray in his name. Jesus said that over and over, didn't he? If you ask anything in my name, if you pray in the Father's name, whatever you ask in my name, so he's, he isn't saying pray anything. He's saying pray in my name. Now what does that mean? Here's, here's the best way that I can explain what that means. To pray in Jesus' name means at least these several things. Number one, it means that we're praying for his will to be done and not ours. That would be the first Praying in Jesus' name is for his will to be done and not ours. Number two, that he would be glorified and not us. That, that resolves a lot of prayers. His will be done, not ours. For him to be glorified, not us. And then the third thing, whatever we're praying is completely in line with Scripture, both in request and in the motive behind it. That's to pray in Jesus' name. That what we are praying for is actually in line with Scripture. Now, I'm, I'm going to close with this thought, but, but before I do this, I, before I do that, I want to give you just one quick, really practical application. Because you might be thinking... Pastor, I really struggle. I don't know where to begin. I want to pray more. I want to pray every day. I want to pray regularly. What can I do? I think the, on a very practical level of, of application, I would say this. Get a notebook and start making notes. I, I, that's been the best thing for my prayer life. I, 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 I write things down in a, in a notebook, in a $2 notebook, and I things that I'm praying for every day of the week. I write down verses of Scripture that help me in my prayer life. I write down requests. Uh, some people write out their prayers. 
Sometimes a, a prayer journal, you might call it. I write down uh, passages of Scripture that talk about praying, and, and sometimes I look at those before I pray. I, I just keep up with something. I, so I'm keeping up with people that I'm praying for, needs, things, and it's helped me to pray. It's helped me to be consistent. It's helped me to be, have a regular, ongoing prayer life, to keep coming to God. I attach that to my Bible reading and study. We call those quiet times or your time with God every day. Hearing from God in the Word and speaking to God, pouring our hearts, our lives out to God in prayer. So maybe just having a notebook. But here's a concluding thought. Jesus says... He came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. Jesus says, I'm here for the purpose that you might have life and then it might be abundant. But church, we are often missing out on the abundant life in Christ. There's an absence often, even, in our, even within our congregation, of a, of a zeal for the Lord, a passion for the Lord and excitement for the Lord we, we get excited about everything else we get committed and involved in everything else but, but there's, there's almost a um, we can get to a place in our Christian life that we're just simply going through the rhythm of church attendance and this ministry and that ministry and what's on the church calendar next and there's a missing of an abundance, of a, of a fullness of joy, of an expectation, of an anticipation, of an eagerness and desire and seeking and searching for the Lord to work. Oftentimes, the root of that, if we begin to investigate and examine and search, we begin to see that, that we as individuals and, and, and as husband and wife and his families we're, we're not people of the word and, and we're not people of prayer those are the two basic fundamental disciplines activities of the Christian life so my prayer for our church including myself is that God would help us to pursue him as never before in this year that that would be our main priority, our main goal, our main plan is to pursue God with everything that is within me in 2022. And the means to do that is his word and prayer. And let's see, church, let's see what God will do. Let's pray. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.